This message was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire, a contemporary Christian church in the north of England. Learn more at lifelanks.org. So, Daniel chapter 5, this is what it says. King Belshazzar held a great feast for his 1,000 nobles. The wine flowed freely. Belshazzar, heady with the wine, ordered that the gold and silver chalices his father Nebuchadnezzar had stolen from God's temple in Jerusalem be brought in so that he and his nobles, his wives and concubines, could drink from them. When the gold and silver chalices were brought in, the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines, drank wine from them. They drank the wine and drunkenly praised their gods made of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. At that very moment, the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the lamp-illumined wall, whitewashed wall of the palace. When the king saw the disembodied hand writing away, he went white as a ghost, scared out of his wits. His legs went limp and his knees knocked. He yelled out for the enchanters, the fortune tellers and the diviners to come. He told these Babylonian magi, Anyone who can read this writing on the wall and tell me what it means will be famous and rich. Purple robe, the great gold chain, and be third in command in the kingdom. One after another they tried, but could not make sense of it. They could neither read what was written nor interpret it to the king. So now the king was really frightened. All the blood drained from his face. The nobles were in a panic. The queen heard of the hysteria among the king and his nobles and came to the banquet hall. She said, long live the king. Don't be upset. Don't sit around looking like ghosts. There is a man in your kingdom who is full of the divine Holy Spirit. During your father's time, he was well known for his intellectual brilliance and spiritual wisdom. He was so good that your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him the head of all the magicians, enchanters, fortune tellers and diviners. There was no one quite like him. He could do anything, interpret dreams, solve mysteries, explain puzzles. His name is Daniel, but he was renamed Belteshazzar by the king. Have Daniel called in. He'll tell you what's going on here. So Daniel was called in. The king asked him, are you the Daniel who was one of the Jewish exiles my father brought here from Judah? I've heard about you. You're full of the Holy Spirit, that you've got a brilliant mind and that you are incredibly wise. The wise men and enchanters were brought in here to read this writing on the wall and interpret it for me. They couldn't figure it out, not a word, not a syllable, but I've heard that you interpret dreams and solve mysteries. So, if you can read the writing and interpret this for me, you'll be rich and famous, a purple robe, the great gold chain around your neck, and third in command in the kingdom. Daniel answered the king, you can keep your gifts or give them to someone else. But I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Listen, O king, the high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar a great kingdom and a glorious reputation. Because God made him so famous, people from everywhere, whatever race, colour, creed, were totally intimidated by him. He killed or spared people on a whim. He promoted or humiliated people capriciously. He developed a big head and a hard spirit. Then God knocked him off his high horse and stripped him of his fame. He was thrown out of human company, lost his mind, and lived like a wild animal. He ate grass like an ox and was soaked by heaven's dew 
until he learned his lesson that the high God rules human kingdoms and puts anyone he wants in charge. You are his son and you've known all this, yet you were as arrogant as he ever was. Look at you, setting yourself up in competition against the master of heaven. You had the sacred chalices from his temple brought into your drunken party so that you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines could drink from them. You used the sacred chalices to toast your gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, blind, deaf and imbecile gods. But you treat with contempt the living God who holds your entire life from birth to death in his hand. God sent the hand that wrote on the wall, and this is what is written, Mine, Tekel and Perez. This is what the words mean. Mine, God has numbered the days of your rule and they don't add up. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and you don't weigh much. Perez, your kingdom has been divided up and handed over to the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar did what he had promised. He robed Daniel in purple, draped the gold chain around his neck and promoted him to third in charge in the kingdom. That same night, the Babylonian king, Belshazzar, was murdered. Darius the Mede was 62 years old when he succeeded him as king. Wow, that's a story and a half, isn't it? There's always something to be grateful for, though, isn't there? I didn't get the chapter with the flying goats. If you don't know what that's about, it's to come. That's like a, a preview. That's like a, a trailer for what's coming. But I was deeply grateful about that because, you know, getting a, a sermon out of flying goats is a bit of a struggle. I'd have done it. I can do stuff like that, but it would have been a stretch. Anyway, wonderful. Okay, good. So are you ready to uh, explore this? All right. Let me put my big Bible down. Bigger your Bible, more of a Christian you are. It's not true. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Wonderful. Daniel chapter 5. Now, um, I want to I wanna kind of key in on a, a particular verse. And I'm not going to read the verse again, but um, I think Nanda will put it up for me if you don't mind. It's just this verse. You're his son and you've, you've known all this, yet you're as arrogant as he ever was. We'll leave it at that. Daniel says to King Belshazzar, you have known all of this. Do you understand? What, what, what that means is that um, Daniel's saying to the king, you knew everything that God had done for Nebuchadnezzar. You knew the story. You had an in-depth account. You got that. And yet, you have willfully and deliberately chosen to defy God. You've chosen to put your hand up to God and say, I don't need you. In fact, in a sense, I am bigger than you. I am greater than you. I, I, I am my own man. I am in charge of this whole kingdom. Belshazzar, he just really threw it back in God's face. Do we understand that? Because he says he knew the story. Now, that's really, really important because he must have had um, a history lesson on this. He must have understood what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And if you were here last week and Jeff spoke about, I unpacked that whole story about Nebuchadnezzar and, um, and what God did with him. But here we have, we have Belshazzar. Now, here's what's interesting. Um, I, I want to tell you a story before I unpack this because you've got to kind of, you've got to get around the difficulties. Are you all kind of with me on this about unpacking? So I want you to stay connected. So there's some difficulties here in this sense. Okay. Um, God de seemingly deals with Nebuchadnezzar one way, 
and seems to deal with Belshazzar another way. Now, we've, we've, got, to, we've got to get our heads around this. Now, what I always do, and I want to encourage you to do the same, is when there's something in the Bible that doesn't make sense or, or, or is confusing or, or, or kind of we struggle with, open up the Bible and look at it in the broader picture and say, okay, what does the whole story say? And then what, what is going on here in the context of the whole story? Does that make sense? So you, kind of, so, so you start to understand, because if you take individual stories and they kind of struggle, and you don't put, put them in the context of the big picture, you're always going to come undone. It's always going to seem a struggle and, and disconnected. So that's what I want to do for you. So we're going to do a bit of that this morning, and we're going to put this, this story into the context of um, a bigger picture. Now, I want to do that by telling some stories. So outside my house... Are um, in a field far away. Sounds like <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. Uh, there was once no. Outside my house, in a field far away, there are three trees. Okay, I'm not making this up. It's true. Um, when you get to a certain age, I'm I'm 40 um, in a few weeks. I know I don't look it. I was preaching at a, a Baptist church not so long ago, and this lady on the front row um, said something to a friend along the lines of. He's older than he looks, that lad. He's older than he looks. Fair enough. I think that's a compliment. I'm not sure. Okay, so anyway, so when you get to a certain age, you start looking at trees, or maybe that's just me. Um, You start admiring nature a bit more, and you start looking at, and and Diane's thinking at this point, you've never noticed me hanging baskets every time I change them. Okay. (laughs) Diane's my wife, just so you know. Um, so um, anyway, so there's three trees, and, and what I observed about these three trees is that they're, they're really, they're, they're in the distance, and they caught my imagination a few years ago, and they're exactly aligned, these three trees, they're, they're spaced apart, exactly, and I thought, somebody's, somebody's planted those three trees, they're kind of really exact, they're not, that's not happened by accident, I said, somebody's done that deliberately, that's my logic there, and, um, and I looked at it, and I and my, my imagination started running, and I started to think about the power of three trees. Now, I've, whenever I try to understand the Bible in its big context, I go back to Genesis, and I try to understand what happened in the beginning. And in the beginning, there was a, a tree, and it was a tree of decision. And, and the tree of decision was about, am I going to follow God? Am I going to do what God wants me to do, or am I going to go my own way? Does that make sense? So a tree of decision. So there was a tree there, and, and the, 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 the story behind the tree is this. The devil had said to Adam and Eve, you can have power. You can have greatness. You can know what God knows. If you go your own way. If you do your own thing. So that's the tree back in Genesis. Now, we imagine that tree. Now, if we look along the line of history, we come to the, the cross. There is the point of salvation, the tree of redemption, the tree where everything gets put right by Christ. Isn't that powerful? Calvary says it all. That song is just awesome, don't you think? I don't use that word very much. It's overused, but I really think that about that because God is the only context in which I'm going to use the word awesome because I think he's awesome. But but 
Calvary is, is the healing, redemption. Calvary is putting right what happened in Genesis. But then it's an ongoing process. And then we go right to the end of the Bible and you get, there's this wonderful description of a tree in, in, in Revelation. And it's a tree by a river. And it says of this tree that the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, this is wonderful because what you've got over here is you've got the tree of decision. What are you going to do? You're going to go your own way. And then you've got the tree of salvation and redemption and healing. And then that process continues for those who decide to go through what happened at that tree. Ask Christ into their life. Get that salvation and redemption. They then move towards the tree of healing and restoration. Does that make sense? It's three trees. Now, here's, what, here's what's even more powerful about that. There's another three trees in the Bible. And the other three trees are on Calvary. And this is a really powerful story. And this makes sense because I'm trying to make sense of what happened here. So bear with me. Calvary, there's three trees. Jesus is in the center. And it says in Luke's gospel that there were two thieves one on either side of him. Now, this is really powerful because I've just told you about the three trees that, that map the Bible out for me. And here is the story of, of people's decision around the, them trees. Because what happens is Jesus has his arms outspread, on the, uh, spread out on the cross. And that's very prophetic to me because he's reaching to this thief and he's reaching to that thief. That's powerful, isn't it? Grace is reaching both ways. Now, here's what's incredibly powerful about human nature. And here's what we don't understand. And here's the choice that God painfully and wonderfully gives to human beings. You can choose your own way. You can do what you want to do. But my salvation is outstretched to you. Now, these two thieves are in the most agony we, can, we can't even imagine. Their pain. And their lives are going to be lost. They're going to die. And they're at the very end of themselves. There's no natural hope for these people. And one of them who's heard Jesus, probably both of them heard Jesus, undoubtedly both of them heard Jesus. We know that from what they said. One of them says, Jesus, remember me. That's powerful. Remember me. And Jesus turns to him and says, Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I, that, that moves me every time I think about it. One of them makes a decision to cry out for grace and hope. The other one, through reasons we cannot understand, through his life experience, through pride, through anger, through whatever, something's happened to him inside. And he turns around and he says to Jesus, and he's completely got Jesus wrong, he says, if you are the Son of God, get down and get us down. Because, you know, you're supposed to have power, Jesus. You're supposed to, you said you, you were the king. You said you were the one. And it, I don't know about you, but I hear anger in his voice. Do you hear that as well? I hear like, I'm angry at the world. The world's done me. I'm doing my own thing. This guy's like, it's, it's like through clenched fists almost. I'm doing my, you, God's not been good to me. No one's been good to me. What are you going to do for me? And he takes a completely different approach. Can you see that? 
Now that's really powerful because when you put that in the context of the whole Bible, one of them chose to accept grace. Something in his heart cried out to God. And he said, God, I, I need that healing that you bring. I, I need it now and I'm desperate. I'm on the floor. And, and it's something that only God knows why people do that. But he cried out for grace. The other one rejected the very grace that was reached out for him in, in pride, anger, whatever was going on inside him. Now, what I'm trying to get us to understand about that is that's how people, that's, that's what sometimes happens in people's lives. I, I don't want to be unreal about this. God's grace is offered. Some people accept it. And some people, for whatever reason, reject it. We understand that, don't we? I, I, it's hard. I, look, don't get me wrong. It's really hard to say this. But that's what the Bible shows me. Now, I want to bring this story back to, to Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Because in Nebuchadnezzar, we get a man for whom God, for whom God says, I'm going to pour out grace on you but I've got to strip your pride first because I can't get through that wall you've built for me. You're with me on that? I can't get through. So we're going to have to do something drastic here, Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to have to pull you off that pedestal. You've got ideas far above your station. You, but I, I, I understand. God saw something in Nebuchadnezzar's heart that would repent, that would turn around, that would reach out. Does that make sense? God saw that. But Belshazzar, there's something different here. There's something different that God understands that maybe we don't. And it's something like the story of the cross where Belshazzar, is, in effect, he's a young king. And history tells us that he's, um, he's probably not actually the actual king. He's probably, he's third in command in the kingdom, and it was probably his father. There's a, there's a history to all this that makes sense if you read it, and I don't want to confuse us by all that. But, but Belshazzar was, was, was kind of placed in charge at this, this point in time. And he knew the whole story of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you need to understand something about Belshazzar. Um, Babylon, at that time, was surrounded by a great wall, a huge wall built higher than we can imagine and, uh, and and they believed or at least Belshazzar believed that he was safe because he had this wall that he, that he lived in this fortified city that they couldn't break through but in fact at the time of this feast at the time when Belshazzar is enjoying himself and and just having basically a, a, um, a, an, a party just just throwing everything wild, everything that offends God, truthfully, while he's doing all this stuff, the Persians, in their droves, in their thousands and thousands, were at the gates of the city. They were, they'd got right to the wall of the city, and they were ready to invade. They were ready to smash, up, get over this wall, get into the city, and, and overrun Babylon. And at that very moment, Belshazzar, in his heady madness, was having a party. When he should have been protecting the very people in the city God had put him in charge of, over. He, he, he had a responsibility for these people. He was the one who should have been there for them. 
He was the one who was charged with their care. But in the midst of that, he was indulging himself. He cared nothing for these people. Does that make sense? He's, he's, this is where, what God sees about this man. He just, he just abandoned. I, I don't care about I don't care what happens outside these walls. I'm going to have a party. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to indulge. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all the things that offend God. I'm just going to have a rip-roaring time because that's what I'm here for. That's, he wasn't there for that. He was there to care for these people. He was there to look after them. That hurt God. That, that more than hurt God. I think that really offended God. And then on top of that, Belshazzar has all this history about the, the temple and Nebuchadnezzar and bringing back these chalices and, and, and all the things and all the, the, the instruments from the temple for worship. And, and Nebuchadnezzar, though he was a, a despotic king and though he was a tyrant, somehow the inference is he'd respected this. He'd, respect, he'd, he'd stored these things away and respected it, even though he'd taken them. Belshazzar asks for all God's things to be brought out to his feast. And he starts to indulge himself. How much must that have offended God? You know, not only is this man not caring for his people and he's willing to let them die, he's willing to let them fight the way he doesn't care. He doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about anybody's thoughts. He doesn't care about religion. He, he's, he's a man who cares nothing, it seems for me, except for himself. Totally indulging himself in what's going on around him and, and what he wants and his selfish needs and then he pulls out these these things in the temple he starts drinking out of them they're all drunk you can't even imagine this party a thousand nobles all strewn all over the place doing what they want and in the midst of this God speaks because God's really offended and he's really upset and he's really angry and God sends his hand to write on the wall and I love the description in the message. His knees started to knock. You know, he went white as a ghost. You know, um, God needed to get this man's attention. You know, he needed to do so. You are just absolutely behaving in a way that is completely contrary to your responsibilities. You're offending everybody. You're upsetting everybody. You're self-serving. You're going to destroy everybody in this kingdom. The way you're going on, you're going to kill everybody. Can you see how God must have felt that? Everybody's going to die if this guy carries on in charge because he's doing nothing except serving his own needs. So God gets his hand to write on the wall and, and Belshazzar's terrified. Now, what happens at this point is really interesting because everybody's panicking. And then it says, go and get the queen. Somebody must have said, go and get the queen she comes in. I want to tell you something really interesting about this, this queen. It was very, very unlikely that she was actually Belshazzar's wife. Um, she was probably the queen of, of the former king. And she knew the story. She knew what had gone on. She knew the history of grace in the kingdom. She knew what God had done in the kingdom. And she was brought in. She came in actually of her own volition. She came in herself to intervene. And she said to him, Belshazzar, there's a man in your kingdom and you've ignored him. And you've ignored everything God's done. And you've caused destruction. 
you need to get this man in because he can bring some sense to this. He can bring some wisdom to this. He can transform this. He can tell you what this means. Now, what's really powerful is, you know, Daniel comes in and Daniel basically says to him, Belshazzar, you, you've known everything God's done and you've done everything contrary. You've, you've, you've caused destruction. You've, you've been found wanting. This is what these words say. You can understand in the context of him not caring for his people, caring nothing but for himself, that God says, you've been found wanting. Your leadership is lax. Basically, God's saying everybody's going to die under your watch. Everybody. And you're going to cause everybody to fall into disobedience, destruction, worshipping gods that are imbecile and have nothing. They have, they have worthless. You're going to destroy everything. And it says that night um, that Belshazzar lost his life. It's most likely the Persians broke through. Darius was a Persian king. They broke through and he lost his life. I want to make three, what I think are very poignant points about this. Is that okay? Are you all with me? It's a, listen, it's a heavy story with a powerful message of grace. So we're going to turn to grace now. Okay. So, point number one. Belshazzar failed to pay attention to the history of grace. You know, Winston Churchill once said, if you don't know your history, you don't know your destiny. If you don't know what's been... You don't know where you're going. Now, I want to, I want to look at, at Daniel against Belshazzar. Daniel, do you know what Daniel did? When Daniel was taken into captivity, he did some very simple things to stay with God. He did the basics well. He made a decision to pray with thanksgiving every day. He made a decision to meet with his friends on a consistent basis to try and understand what God was doing in their lives and the life of the nation in which he lived. He made a decision to read God's word every day to understand the world around him, what God was saying, and how he should act. He did the basics well. Prayed with thanksgiving read his Bible every day and met with his mates to try and understand it. And because of those things, he stayed strong. He connected to the presence of grace in a foreign land under oppression and was transformed by that because he understood that the power in that kingdom resided with the king alone and that God could transform everything and give Daniel influence with the king. Does that make sense? How powerful is that? When you're lost and you're broken and you're on the floor, if you're doing the basics well, things turn around. The way you see the world is transformed. Daniel prayed with thanksgiving every day. He connected with the history of grace. Nebuchadnezzar, later on, connected with the history of grace. He understood what God had done. 
Belshazzar completely and utterly cut himself off from the history of grace in his kingdom. Does that make sense to you? He didn't go, he didn't look what God had done. He didn't listen. He didn't learn. He didn't connect. He cut himself off. You know, I want to encourage you to stay connected to the history of grace. You just stay connected. When you understand what God has done, you understand what God is doing. And then you understand what God will do. But the history of grace tells us what he does in our lives. He is consistent in everything that he does. Stay connected by doing the basics well to the history of grace. Okay? Second thing is, pay attention to the presence of grace. Daniel learned through, through praying, through revelation, through seeking God, through friends, through the word of God, and through his day-to-day walk, that God was fully present with him in a foreign land where everybody else said they were in charge and he wasn't. How powerful is that? Are, are you with that? You, you, I want you to understand that whatever situation you find yourself in, God is fully present in his grace with you in that situation. But you will only see it if you do the basics well. You will only have that revelation if you do the simple things well. If you decide, you make a decision of the will to connect every day with him and with his grace. You know, I cycle to work. It's an electric bike. I, I understand, it's a bit of a cheat. But I made a decision. Do you know what I was saying to, I think I was saying to, I don't know, I was saying to someone before. People criticise me at work for that. I park my electric bike up and they go, that's cheating that. Everybody who says that to me doesn't cycle to work. So well, it's less cheating than you. But, but, but I made a decision. I made a decision to cycle to work every day because I get 40 quiet minutes to thank God from start to finish of my journey. If I go in my car, it takes me 10 minutes, but I'm going on my bike because I want that time. I'm just telling you that because it's stuff I need to do to give thanks every day. And I'm learning to thank God for whatever's going on every day, every moment of every day. Yes? Stay connected to the history of grace. Stay connected to the presence of grace. Belshazzar cut himself off from the presence of grace and from God. Daniel did the opposite and found the presence of grace in his situation. I want to say one last thing. Pay attention to the power of grace. Okay? This, I want to read this to you. It's a very short passage. This is what Nebuchadnezzar said after God restored him. It's Daniel 4. Verse 36 and 37. At the same time that I was given back my mind, I was also given back my majesty and splendor, my kingdom, making my kingdom shine. All the leaders and important people came looking for me. I was reestablished as king in my kingdom and became greater than ever. And that is why I'm singing. I, Nebuchadnezzar, singing and praising the king of heaven. Everything he does is right. 
and he does it the right way. He knows how to turn a proud person into a humble man or woman. Powerful. He connected with the power of grace. So three things. Stay connected to the history of grace. Stay connected to the presence of grace. Stay connected to the power of grace. Discover more about us at lifelanks.org and stay inspired by subscribing to the podcast via iTunes. Thanks for listening.